everyone. Welcome to Backstory Sessions. I'm your host, Matt. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, everybody. It's Kat, and I want to welcome you to this episode of Backstory Sessions. I'm joined today by my co-host, Matt. Hey, Matt. Hey, Kat. Hey, everyone. How are you? Well, we've made it to the end of Season 8. That's true. We have. Yeah, this is the last episode of Season 8. I think... They're sweet. I always feel that at the end of a season, don't you? Yeah, kind of. I mean, but, you know, it's like, uh, you know... I don't know. It's good because, like, it's nice to have a break. To me, it's kind of like when you open that last Christmas present, you know? <laughs> like, you know, it's the last one. Um, you know, then you get to go enjoy, you know, unless you got socks or, you know, like, right, yeah. lunch. But, um, I, I don't know. It, it's, when I look back over the season, um, I, I feel really proud of the work that we've done and the guests that we've had. I mean, we started off with David Bischoff and... Um, yes, Rock Camp. Rock Camp, you know, so we we definitely, you know, we had the first two episodes of that. And then we had a lot of retro, um, you know, like with the Waltons, we had Michael Learned. Um, we had had uh, Mary Ellen, you know, that ended our season seven. Right. So we kind of continued that. And then we had Nellie Olson, you know, like uh, Allison Arngren. Uh, yeah, yeah. They were really awesome episodes. Yeah. So, you know, we just had a lot. And then we had our Valentines. Um, yep. CW know. and Monica and Jonathan and Corey. Yeah, it's always really special to, you know, to to have that episode of love. And uh, <laughs> so we just had a really good season, I feel like. Um, yep. And, and oh, it's, it's ending very strong again with, um, you know, female country music. Yeah, yeah. We had some, uh, you know, good growth this uh, season. And, uh, you know, so far this year, I guess we started this when the beginning, middle of January or something, the season. Yeah, um, very near the beginning of January, I think. Yeah, but, I think you're right. I think it was like the second week or something. Yeah. Yep, it's been, uh, you know, been pretty good. We've, uh, I think we might have hit all 50 states this season. Yes, yes, I believe we did in several countries. Several added countries, I think, were, you know, gaining a following in Zimbabwe or something. <laughs> yeah, um, and, you know, we, we've had, uh, well, in one of my plays, we had an actor from Zimbabwe, so I feel like, you know, oh, he does. Oh, yes, that's true. Who yeah. was that again? Uh, Gareth, and he's... Uh, you know, he's probably, like, spreading the word. Thank you, Gareth, if you are doing that. Oh, that's right. He was in Gorilla Girl, I believe, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, he was. So, uh, 
you know, I, I just, um, our guest today, um, you know, she is married to uh, also a country music star. Right, Gigi Shepard. So I'd be curious to see, you know, I can't wait to ask her, like, what's it like to work with your spouse? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, should be interesting. Yeah, and then also, um, she somehow is connected, like, got to become friends with Barry Gibb and Olivia Newton-John, so. Yes, one of your favorites, Olivia. I know. I also love the Bee Gees, you know, back in the day. Um, oh, right, yeah. Well, who didn't like staying alive, right? Yes. Um, so, well, you know, because it came out about the time of Greece and, you know, disco and, yeah. like, all that was, it was, like, big music. The Bee Gees were, like... Yeah, yeah, they were superstars for sure. Yes, so uh, I I am just another thing I'm wanting to know from her is, you know, like how do you get to meet those Australians that (laughs) uh, are so successful? And I, you know, loved Olivia Newton-John. I think the whole world loved her. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, um, Kelly, too, has her own... Uh, really interesting like there's so many things about her you know she's written a book um she's she writes songs she um does all kinds of uh, work for causes breast cancer awareness so i'm just really i just can't wait to get into her backstory and hear like you know what is the story yeah i'm sure it'll be interesting um you know, she's a writer as well, so, uh, yeah, it would be cool to talk to her about those things and see where all that stuff, all that came from, you know. And, you know, it's another season that, uh, we've got to spend together, um. Yep, another one in the books. Another one in the books, and, uh. You know, I feel like I feel like we've told a lot of good stories behind the stories, and uh, that was our goal. So, um, well, you, you make know. it seem like this might be the last one. <laughs> well, you know, it's again, it's like that Christmas, and then you know. Yeah, but I mean, there's next season to look forward to, or whatever's next. You know. Yeah. Like after Christmas, there's always what. New Year's and New Year's Valentine. Are there any holidays in January? No, well, New Year's. <laughs> oh, aside from that, yeah. Yeah, it's Martin Luther King Day. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's true. So, um, yeah, we don't want to forget that. And there's probably some more president President's Day is in February, I believe. Well, or I mean, it? like those aren't those aren't gift giving holidays though. Well, I mean, you could give your president something, you know. That's true, yeah. Or less like Washington and Lincoln, so, you know. Yeah, well, you could give Washingtons and Lincolns. That's true. So, <laughs> you know, if I remember it, uh, I will give you some of those. <laughs> All right, you heard it here first. Cat's giving me money on right. President's you Day. You always go back and play like you said you were going to give me. That's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> but 
I'm, so I'm going to try to uh, to adopt your um, mental positivity of, you know, not being too sad that this is the ending of season eight and, uh, you know, looking forward to uh, what's next. Yeah, um, you know, we, as always, we have to thank the listeners because they're the ones who, you know, help us uh, keep this going. You know, they listen and give us feedback, and uh, I think this season it's been generally pretty good. Yeah, they've recommended us to, you know, a lot of their friends, and and you can see the growth. So, you know, it was their 25,000 year, like this season, and now it's almost 30. And, yep. You know, it's, um, so we, we've worked hard, and the guests have been phenomenal. The, the listeners are great. Um, so all in all, I, I think we're pretty, pretty lucky, and definitely very lucky and honored to have Kelly Lang as our closing guest of season eight. All right. Well, let's talk to Kelly and uh, see what's happening with her. Kelly Lang, I want to welcome you to Backstory Sessions. We are so excited to have you as our guest today. Oh, thank you for having me. What a thrill. Well, it's uh, really amazing to me that you have autobiography. Uh, now the autobiography is going to be an audio book. Um, and then also you have a song all by the same title of I'm Not Going Anywhere. Uh, so what inspired that title? Well, many years ago, I'm going to say probably 18 years ago, maybe a little longer, I was witnessing a friend of mine taking care of her terminally ill husband. And he had a lot of nurses around him. A lot of people were taking care of him. But I recognized that the only time he seemed calm and comforted was when his wife would say, honey, I'm not leaving you. I'm right here. I'm not going anywhere. And then he would calm down. And I thought, wow, wish you could bottle that, you know, and give people that feeling of comfort. And I thought, well, the best thing I knew how to do is to write a song about it. So I wrote a song called I'm Not Going Anywhere. And, um... Strangely enough, a few months later, I had been diagnosed with breast cancer. And the man that I was dating at the time, whom I married, is T.G. Shepard, the country singer. And we were just dating, and I, I kept feeling like, you know, honey, I'm, I, it's time for you to move on. We're not engaged. We're not committed. Let's just call it a day. And I, I'm just bald and ugly. I probably am going to die at this point. And he says, absolutely not. I love you. I'm not going anywhere. And I'm like, oh, wow. You know, it just kind of hit me like a, a boulder. I had written that, and it just came back to comfort me. And, you know, it, it had some success. Uh, Crystal Gale cut it. Uh, it ended up in a Burt Reynolds movie. But then it just kind of went away. So 16 years later, I got an email from Ascension Hospitals here in the United States that uh, wanted to use it as their national commercial for their campaign. And it hit right when the pandemic hit. And everybody was home listening to the TV. And um, that song, that commercial played constantly. And it was just, um, you know, it's a feeling of comfort for those having to leave their loved ones in nursing homes and hospitals. And it was just, it was just a rough time for the, for the world, you know. So I believe that song just resonated with a lot of people that 
probably would never have even known the song other than that commercial. So as, as the pandemic progressed, I was cleaning out my garage and ran into a bunch of notes that I had taken during my breast cancer diagnosis. And a friend encouraged me to use those notes to put them into a book form and help people with. And at the time it was intimidating, but I thought it would be, you know, if I could just help one person, I wish I had somebody like myself to talk with or have insight from whom has made it past X amount of time, X amount of years, you know, after that diagnosis. And so I just treated it from that perspective and, and just wrote very, very factual from my perspective. And some of it's, some of it's brutal to go through again. Um, but the better part is, is that I'm this far out and I can see the sunshine now and hopefully be a ray of hope for somebody. Yeah. So I, I can just imagine like the, you know, the time markers you might count down, like after your first diagnosed and as you were saying that you told TG that, you know, you probably were going to die so early on, you know, what, like what time were you thinking if I can just make it to what? If I could just get through the first year and then if I could get through the five years and then if I could get through 10 years, you know, so it's like, it gets further out as you go. And I, I was telling a friend of mine who had had cancer, she was just scared of every headache, every lump, every bruise, you know. And I said, you know what? Go to the doctor. Keep going to the doctor. But you're going to connect enough good doctor visits together that that one big one, you know, is going to be farther apart. And I said, just just keep on top of your health. But the connection of the good ones started started overwhelming me compared to the bad ones so it was just something for me to it's kind of like a mental game with me to connect another good good visit with and and then I'd go get an ice cream cone to celebrate <laughs> so <laughs> it, it was just you know you, you learn to celebrate the small things in life because they're all connected to Leah, a big a big thing um, did you expect to hear that you had a cancer diagnosis I mean were you prepared for that well, honestly, uh, yes, I was. Um, I was 36 years old. I had children, 9 and 13 years old. I was single. And I was watching the Oprah Winfrey show one day, and a young girl was 26 years old begging people to do their self-exams. And I didn't want to do that. I thought, that's ridiculous. Me being 36, I thought, yeah, I've never done one before. Okay, you know, nothing else to do. So I found two knots under my arm that day. And I went to my regular doctor and I said, you know, what, what are these? And she goes, oh, you're too young. I said, mm, there's a girl on TV that said she was 26. And she goes, okay, fine. I see something there, but we'll, we'll keep a look on it. It's nothing big deal. So my instincts, my gut instinct told me something was not right. We know ourselves. Doctors don't necessarily know us internally, you know. So right. it, I, I use a lot of that uh that common sense and intuition in my book to entice people to listen to their voice and listen to their body telling them things. I knew something wasn't right. So about eight months later, I felt a jolt of pain in that area. And I insisted that my doctor get me a diagnostic mammogram and that didn't show anything. So I asked for an ultrasound and that didn't show anything, but I knew something wasn't right. So I asked the lady, the technician, if she could just push it in a little bit further. And there it was. And wow. I'm sure it offended her, but it was my life we're talking about, you know. 
And at that point, Kat, it had been eight months longer, and it had already spread to my lymph nodes, and I had to go through chemo and radiation, and it, it was horrible. But if I had just been more aggressive in the beginning, which I'm hoping to encourage people to be their own health advocates now, um, I would have, and I also um, talk about the, the things I learned. I didn't know you could replace a doctor midstream. I just thought you'd just go along with whatever the doctor says, and I learned not to. I learned that if that doctor doesn't meet your emotional needs or your bedside manner desire, find another doctor. You know, there's, there's plenty out there to get second opinions from. It was very important for me to do that. Well, I hope if the listeners hear nothing else, they hear what you just said. Um, I think that is so important. And, you know, had you not spoken up and been an advocate for yourself, um, your cancer probably would not have been diagnosed till much longer. Oh, I wouldn't be here today. No, as a matter of fact, one of the one of the doctors that I, I, I teased that I fired her, but I just chose another doctor is really what I did. Um, I said to her when I got to my 40th birthday, which was three and a half years after my diagnosis, I said, I invited you to my party. I wish, you know, it was a staying alive 40th birthday party, disco themed. I said, I wish you could have come to my party. I didn't know I would make it to 40. And she said, oh, I knew I could get you to 40. It's after that that I don't really have much confidence in. Oh, my God. Uh, You're fired. (laughs) I just didn't want to surround myself with anybody with negativity. Not that I was trying to be Pollyanna. But, you know, you you want to be around people that are uplifting and at least have your best interest at heart. And and she she was trying to prepare me for the worst, but I didn't want to focus on the worst. So I let that doctor go and went to another situation where it was much more pleasant for me to, to heal in. Well, I'm certainly glad now that you're 18 years out. Yeah, um, and I must say... The parties um, you want. (laughs) Right. I must say um, I was very honored to have met um, Olivia Newton-John at the um, time. I was was probably six years out, and um, she was a tremendous inspiration to me on how to live even though. And uh, she wrote the foreword to my book, as a matter of fact. And, you know, she, she lived many, many years longer than what they expected her to live. And I think it, a lot of it's because of her natural way she handled things and her positive attitude. And uh, she was just a lovely inspiration to me, and I hope to be that to others. So you ended up um, becoming friends with her. Um, she wrote the foreword, and you have a um, duet with her that's coming out, I believe, May the 5th. Yes, I do. Tell us how that happened. Well, she and I were really fast friends. I met her through Barry Gibb. I'm sure you're familiar with the Bee Gees. Yes. And she and I are very close friends. And and, uh, we were all at an event one night in Miami for diabetes. And she was there. And we just hit it off. And I think, you know, when you have a breast cancer sisterhood arrives, you know, in between two people that have gone through that. So we just kind of connected really quickly, and, and uh, she, was, she was a beautiful soul. Anything you think good about her, quadruple it. She was amazing. Great friend. And um, so she, she liked my music. She always loved my, you know, anything I record, she would ask for a copy of it, and then she'd give me her critique of it. And um, it, was, it was quite amazing to hear her critique my original songs. It's, it's so funny. But she loved to play my music during her dinners that she had at her house. 
So she said, are you going to be recording any more albums? And I said, yeah. She says, what songs are you planning on doing? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I said, why don't you come in and do a duet with me? She says, okay, what song are we doing? I'm like, oh, <laughs> I, I didn't take her. I didn't think she would be serious, you know, but she was that kind of friend. And um, I had recorded my part of How Can You Mend a Broken Heart here in Nashville. And uh, I met her out in Vegas. She flew in a day early uh, where she was doing her residency out there from California to record with me that night. And the beautiful thing is we've got some really sweet footage of us in the studio together that has never been seen before. And some just video and, and uh, photos of us through the years. We had a very long friendship. And um, I'm anxious to share that with the, the fans and be able to release that when the album comes out May 5th. And, and what is having all of those, um, you know, the photos and now the song recorded together, you know, I'm sure that's so much more special even uh, to have that memory to share with everyone. It, it, it's really special to me, but it's bittersweet. It's hard for me to listen to it. And I, the, the thing that people don't, will never get a chance to see of her she and I really didn't talk music that much. We talked girlfriend stuff and facials and hair and nails and, you know, it, it, everything like that. How to organize, how to cook and girlfriend stuff. So I've got probably 120, 130 videos of she and I back and forth on that app Marco Polo. She's teaching me how to do things as we go. So I will forever have her video in my, in my opportunity to hear her and see her talking to me. And those are just priceless. Nobody will ever see those, but I know they're there. And, you know, I just, I hear her in my head all the time. And I, I hope to be, you know, maybe a, a continued to torch for her, her kindness and her ability to help people. Because it, it sure did rub off. Well, she certainly, um, you know, has been an amazing influence for many people. Mm -hmm. uh, in a, in a lot of ways. So I'm, I'm so glad that, you know, that you can reinforce that that really was her. Uh, oh, she, was, she was better than anybody I've ever known. She was just, she was just the epitome of kind. She was very firm though. If she didn't like something you did, she'd tell you too. You knew right <laughs> where you stood with her, which I thought was lovely, you know? Right. Well, when you were putting together the autobiography and the ideas, um, was there uh, some kind of litmus test for, you know, I'm going to tell this much, but I'm not going to cross the line, or were you just completely transparent and everything was on the table? About my personal story, everything was on the table. I felt like if I held anything back, regarding my breast cancer journey, it would be not doing the reader who needs that information any service. I wanted to share the good, bad, and ugly about it because there is some really sad, depressing parts to it, but the majority of the book is the how to get out of that dark place and, and what I did to lighten it. And, and the people that I chose to be around, they were funny or they were uplifting and um, the lessons I learned on how to accept people's help and not cut their blessing off by trying to help clean my house or, you know, take care of my children at the time. It was just a lot of life lessons that I learned. But as far as like personal 
relationship things go, I'm not into trashing anybody. You know, I, I went through a, a really tough divorce. Um, I acknowledge that in the book and just slide by quickly. There's no sense in, in saying anything negative about about anybody. And, and uh, I wouldn't want them to say anything negative about me. So, <laughs> <laughs> And then, you know, I mentioned a lot of artists, friends that I have become very close to in the book. And you'll never read about the ones I'm not close to. How about that? Okay. Um, and so you've also written a lot of songs. Um, when did you know that you were a singer, songwriter? Like, did this begin in an early age or? It really did. My dad was Conway Twitty's road manager from the time I was one year old up till he passed when I was, I think I was 25 when Conway died. And, um, I lived in Oklahoma, and I remember very, very distinctly writing my first song in Oklahoma in the bathtub, which is really weird because that's where I write most of my songs now, now, <laughs> or, or in the pool. I love to be in water. It's just calming to me. And I wrote a song about Delta faucets to the tune of Delta Dawn. <laughs> I won't be with singing it, but I could. <laughs> but um, I, I was always fascinated with Conway's career and just kind of, you know, really studied him and mimicked what he did um, as far as how well he treated his fans. And, and he was always such a good good advocate for how to be, you know, there for the people and, and cutting great songs. And I just loved his songwriting and I, I mimicked a lot of the ways that he wrote. And, and I just... I grew into it, and then we were able to move to Nashville when I was very young, and I began singing on the Ralph Emery Morning Show, and then I began uh, writing more. The older I got, I actually wrote the whole album, uh, Walk Alone, with Lori Morgan for her, her album, and she's just recently cut three of my songs for her upcoming album. Um, but I've, I've written for people like Jerry Lee Lewis and George Jones and Ricky Skaggs and the Oak Ridge Boys in the past, but it's just... Um, yeah, you know, comes and goes. It's it's like if I'm singing, I don't write. If I'm writing, I don't paint. If I don't paint, I'm performing. I have to be compartmentalized with what I do. Otherwise, I I would be nuts. <laughs> be difficult. Uh, what's been the song that you've written that's um, you know, been the most uh, in, in touched you in some way when you heard it recorded by someone else? Well, um. Believe it or not, it hasn't happened yet. Um, I, I've uh, I've got a song right now that I'm getting ready to put out in June, as a matter of fact. And I pitched it to Dolly Parton, and Dolly wrote me a beautiful handwritten letter about how much she loved the song. And when she's cutting this type of project again, that's she's going to circle back and cut it. So I just, in conversation with Lori Morgan, said, "Hey, you want to hear this new song I wrote?" And she said, "Sure." I wasn't pitching it to Lori. And Lori heard it, and she cut it the next day. And I'm so I haven't heard it yet. I I seriously haven't heard it yet. But I'm planning on putting my version out June the second. And be watching for it. It's called I Think It's Jesus. Okay. Wow. That's a great backstory for it. And we haven't even heard it yet. It hasn't even been. I, I haven't heard it yet. I'm anxious to hear her version. Great. Well, Matt, um, what questions do you have before we? I have a couple more. <laughs> I'm just sitting here like in awe. I mean, it, it, it's a really interesting story. Um, well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, so, um, hmm. 
Kat, just continue. Okay, well, because I have my questions. Uh, so I'm curious, like, how did you meet Bear Gibb? I mean, yeah, I'm very curious. How did you connect with well, me? <laughs> yeah, we had a, um, a terrible tornado come through here in my hometown and just wiped out so many homes, so many beautiful um, properties and businesses. And I just felt compelled to try to put together some type of a, a benefit concert. We've, we've got a lot of artists that live here in this town. And, you know, it, it would be a crying shame for me not to try to help in some way if I could. So I put together a group of people like Lauren Morgan, Ricky Skaggs, the Oak Ridge Boys, TG and I, I just a ton of artists. Gary, um, oh, I can't think of his name right now. Gary Allen, um, Connie Smith, it just just tons of people. And I had heard that Barry Gibb had bought the Johnny Cash house. But I didn't know anything about, I didn't know him, didn't know anybody that knew him. But I thought, wouldn't that be something if he would come, if he were in town and he could come and sing or at least say hi to his new community if he were right there. And my husband started laughing. He goes, you don't know him. Why, what makes you think you could get through to him? I said, well, I met a girl on a plane who knows his secretary. I'm going to try to figure this out. <laughs> so I found that email address. I wrote to it. And I said, you know, here's who's going to be on this show. If you're kind of going to be in town, we'd love to have you. Three days later, his, his manager called me and said, not only will he be seeing the Johnny Cash house for the first time, but he wants to sing with you, Kelly. And I said, wow. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> so <laughs> I met him at the Johnny Cash house, sitting on June Carter's bed, playing a guitar with a black cowboy hat on. And me and my husband, TG, and my guitar player came in. And we became fast lifetime friends. And his wife was there. And we just, we connected instantly. And my goodness, we've gone on vacations with them. We've gone to Australia with them and Disney World and we we're just super super close to them and through them we meet a lot of really cool people and olivia was just one of them ah that is an another amazing backstory and it, and it seems like that these backstories have led to really solid friendships for you not just um, people that you've worked with but you know people that are really significant in your life story I, I look at it as just there. It's one big extended family, and they're all connected some way. It's very strange how one would connect to the other. And uh, through Olivia, I met Marie Osmond, and it you know worked with Marie before. And it's just it's a very small community, strangely enough. So, old souls, you put out um, that was the title of the first album, and. That had, um, so tell us a little bit about the songs that were on that first. Well, when I was growing up, you know, my dad working for Conway, people assumed I was just a country fan. But my mom would play all of these classic rock songs around the house, either Gladys Knight or Elvis or, you know, Frankie Valley, And just a bunch of different types of music were playing. And as I grew older, I began singing more country, but the older I became, the more I thought, you know, I love these songs. You hear them in the grocery store still. I'd love to record them for my mom just to have her have, a, you know, something to connect with. 
and she really appreciated it. And I, I just did it as a labor of love, really, for her and something fun to do. And she she was really um, appreciative of that. And then it did really well. So I was like, oh, there's tons more I could get to that I'd like to do a volume two. So we just continued on with that. And, you know, the funny thing is people forget that I am a writer since I've been recording so many cover tunes. But um, I, I'll have a, an EP of six or seven of my songs that I've written coming out this summer. So don't forget that I write still. <laughs> but it's it's been a real um, fun thing to go in the studio with these musicians. And they hear um, they hear these songs and they are so excited to be able to play these famous riffs like are on the Lionel Richie's albums and it's, it's just fun it's just it's been a labor of love and fun for me to do but i think i need to get back to writing more <laughs> <laughs> so what's it like singing and working with um your husband oh it's a blast you know the thing about it is a lot of people could not work with their spouse um that would get really hard to do probably but um he and i just have so much fun because he's already been there done that and there's zero competition he just has a, a really good time and I learned from him. I, I get to experience uh, his, his things that he's already done in the past. And he gets to relive things through me <laughs> that he's, you know, he's already done it. So um, it, it's, just, it's just fun. You know, we're just we're choosing at this era in our life, trying to not to do anything that we're just not really happy about. And the lucky thing is of the way the music industry now, is now that you're not really having to do what a label demands you to do and you've got social media to be able to help promote things and it's, it's just taking a lot of it's more pleasurable I should say than it was in the past Kat we're gonna have well, to Kat, we're, we're gonna have to let yes. Kelly go yep yes. I, you have, we, oh sorry great story and we'd love to, to have you back and um, talk more we would love that just call Scott anytime I would love that all right. Thank you so much for being our guest. Thank you, Kat. Thank you, Matt. You're welcome. Take care. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. As always, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, you can send those to Kat at iWritePlays at Outlook.com. Or you can write to me at BackstoryShessions at gmail.com or Matt at Level11Ventures.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.